Welcome, thinkers, to Season 4, Episode 4 of Thinking Critically, a D&D discussion. As usual, I wanted to have a quick update before this episode starts in earnest. And today's a special one. I wanted to shout out a listener who is a very keen fan of the Twitch streams we're currently doing of the campaign that I'm going through right now. Uh, I think they've tuned into every single one, and I couldn't be happier. So yeah, shout out to Very Little Intelligence on Twitch. Thank you ever so much for joining us on this time loop journey. And I know you're listening, so enjoy the rest of the episode. Today's topic is canon. And today I'm joined by Eli Royal. Thank you ever so much for joining us today, Eli. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am always happy to talk about myself. <laughs> I'm Eli Royal. You actually spoke to my older brother, Hunter Royal, pretty recently. And Hunter is my like window or was my window into Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I thought he and his 17-year-old friends were cool. And I was mistaken, but <laughs> this was a fun part out of it. <laughs> So I've been playing D&D for D&D and other tabletop games for like 20 years, but D&D is comfort food. I will always be down to play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> awesome. Thank you ever so much for that. And I would encourage everybody to check out that episode on relationships featuring Hunter, which was yep, yeah, very, very enjoyable. So I'm expecting uh, big things, Eli, <laughs> today, you know, big, big shoes to yeah, fill. No, <laughs> it's definitely not the first time I've been compared to my older brother. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> oh the deliberate uh <laughs> on my part i have to say it won't happen again um today's topic is canon what does that mean to you in the D and wider ttrpg framework so as a gm and a player canon is to me just like this nebulous soup of nonsense but <laughs> i pay attention to the tabletop community a lot and i noticed that canon is like really important to a lot of people and it's popped up again recently because uh as of the time of this recording wizard's new book uh mordekainen's monsters of the multiverse recently published and they changed a lot of canon they they switched things around a lot for kobolds and goblins mm -hmm. and orcs and stuff like that and there are a lot of people upset and to me canon is Mostly whatever you need it to be. You know, D&D is a storytelling game, so if the canon doesn't fit your idea for the story, you change the canon. Mm -hmm. uh, to me, canon is is a very... It's a very fluid thing, and I think that's because I, I'm a comic book nerd, and canon means almost nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, because everything gets, like, retconned and re... Build and, and very frequently, they just stop talking about something. It'll be like, hey, what happened to... How come they never talk about uh, Gwen Stacy's clone kids that tried to kill Peter Parker? And it's like, because they didn't like it, so they don't talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I'm equal parts glad and saddened that I never got hugely into comic books because one of my friends very much is and is full of like this that and the other if you watch any of the the youtubers that talk about it when you know about the marvel cinematic universe i like well from yeah, issue 76 of this you know this season uh, the green goblin was blue for some inexplicable reason and this shade of blue on this piece of glass is maybe referencing that and i'm like oh my god there's just way too much <laughs> yeah i i have friends that never really got into comics and they they love watching those shows with me because I will pause the show or the movie and be like, oh, well, that's a fun reference because, you know, way back in this cartoon in like 2002, they did this <laughs> thing. And then they asked me, hey, when's your birthday? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I got rid of that information so that I could remember everything about the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> that, that worthless information doesn't provide any value my birthday. Yeah. No, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, But it, it is a I have a firm belief as an adult who has to pay bills that you really only get the one hobby because you can either be really mm. into comic books or you can be really into D&D. &D, but to be into both, you got to have a lot of disposable income. 
and time as well, and which is time. the other resource. Yeah. So about about canon, then I wanted to say it is very much. There's this weird kind of like duality to the regular definition of that word in D and D. On the one hand, you do have almost decades of established settings and law and there's a couple of previous episodes from previous seasons about like history and law i think are both out there where uh, i talked to those guests at length about well back in addition to this world happened and we talk at length about how the additions are actually in chronological order in the forgotten realms setting so it's with each new addition that you know the setting has changed and this thing happened which destroyed all magic but then all magic came back and all this other kind of weird and wacky stuff you have all this baggage here and then on the same hand most games don't use any of it (laughs) or or like completely homebrew so it doesn't really matter so you've got all this baggage here that some people are exceptionally passionate about which is fine Uh, but then you also have like my game for example I've never read a single book you know, a single fiction, piece of fiction, never read any of the published modules, never, I, you know, I only know people like Drizzt or whatever, you know. I from, always say Dritzt, but apparently it is yes. supposed to be Drizzt. Ah, okay. Or I think maybe it is supposed to be Dritzt. Who knows? It's nonsense. <laughs> Case in point, I don't even know how to, you know, pronounce it. I just know it by proxy, like through somebody mentioning it once. Yeah. And I'm running my 72 session campaign that's still ongoing. And it, yeah, so that, that just always, when, when we suggested this as the topic to discuss, I was like, am I qual- I'm either super qualified to talk about this or not qualified in the slightest. And I'm still <laughs> not quite sure. It is a weird thing because I, I fell into the trap of like, ah, they've changed this and I don't like it. Um, when 5th mm-hmm. edition came out, because I loved the rules but I didn't like that they changed the core setting of D&D from Greyhawk to Faerun. Because uh, I felt like in Greyhawk, things were a lot more fluid in what the canon was. Uh, and in Faerun, because of the books, it's much more strict in what the canon is. And I didn't want to have to deal with people being like, well, actually, orcs are this. I'm like, I don't care what orcs are. I just want to play a big guy with green skin and tusks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, precisely the same to me. Like a lot of this stuff just kind of washes over me, and I'm I just have this indifference. That's like, okay, well, in my setting, X acts like Y for Z reasons anyway, so it doesn't make a difference to me. Like it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I uh, I have a, a homebrew setting called Ildar, the World of Dragons, and it is this thing of the canon of of my own world this world i've been writing for six years my brother played it and he's like hey this is the idea i have for my kobold is that he lived in this this barony where dwarves are in charge and kobolds are like second class citizens and i'm like Mm. okay cool where do you want to be from i'll make it work i'll like that sounds like a fun thing to explore where do you want to slap it down and i've had gms in the past who would be like well, kobolds don't really interact with dwarves, so I'm not sure where you would be from. And I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a make-believe world. You can just make-believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make it work. Like, where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and especially in... Because my brother has also made exceptions for me in his setting of Bueth. Uh, obviously, we've played a lot of games together. Uh, <laughs> and... <laughs> And it's because it's like, as the GM, you can change the canon to whatever you want it to be, especially Mm -hmm. if it's a homebrew world, and then it really is whatever you want it to be. And I think a lot of people get too caught up with, but it's printed in a book. And it's Mm. like, I don't care that it's printed in a book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I've, I've just dug out my notes for the season two, episode one on law, and it's literally just questions because I had no, like, no idea whatsoever. I'm like, what is this? What is this? What is any of this? Yeah. So, I get, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that, like, you never have to, like, don't assume that you need this baggage of knowledge 
of the the canon of fifth edition or the canon of D anD D to be able to effectively run a game because you just kind of do what you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's you're you're playing make believe with your friends. So mm. uh, if you need to change the rules to make it more fun, you just change the rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the one of my player characters has just we rolled a new character, a Dragonborn Paladin. And yes, there's been the you know occasional Dragonborn dropped you know NPC dropped in the, the campaign setting so far. So there's like a precedent that they exist in this universe. They haven't gone to any predominantly Dragonborn settlements or anything. So no one was a Dragonborn or related to Dragonborns before. So there was never any huge interaction with them, mm-hmm. which was kind of a nice gap to then fill with the player together. So we were like, oh. You want to have this like you want to come from like a clan. Let me let me have a look at the map and see where I can work that in. And he was like, "Oh, what about on this island?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that actually worked really well. You could kind of coexist with these other creatures that I had planned to be on there, and that worked really well." So now, if they you know when or if the players ever go there, there's this pre baked history, yeah, yeah, <laughs> already already built in thanks to the player, which is I'm I'm quite happy with, and he's like super stoked that. You know, he has it. He can point to the map and be like, "That's where my family are," and yeah, this, that, and the other. And it's that's worked out really well for for this campaign. I've learned that one of the best things as GM to do is like have some cursory information about whatever place they're starting in or whatever mm. place they might be going to. And from there, I just like ask my players like, hey, do you have a family? Where did you grow up? Or what kind of place did you grow up in? Did you have an idea of what the weather was like? What's your favorite food? Different things Mm. like that. So I can be like, all right, well, your favorite food is sticky toffee pudding. And you come from a very cold climate and, you know, rigid cast structure. So you never really got to have any. But now you're in an area that has it all over the place and you're an adventurer. You've got <laughs> money. You can just buy it. What do you do? <laughs> you're in the sticky doffy pudding capital of the world. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and then I can take those fun little elements and add it in because like my, my own homebrew setting where we, uh, our first season of my podcast that we played in, it was 30 years after the first world war that this world had ever Mm. experienced. And one of the players was a veteran. So I just let him fill in like, oh yeah, I went to this place and it was like this. And I was like, all right, cool. Sure. Cool. I try really hard to leave things uh, structured enough that there's like a, a foundation to build on, but vague enough Mm -hmm. that the players get to decide, am I building a house? Am I building a shed? Am I building a shop? You know, what am, what am I building on this foundation? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I'm just thinking about another, like there, there was a, a more local map I had of an area and there was just some ruined on the map, but there was some, some iconography for some ruins or something. And, you know, had the players gone there, I would have spun up some side quests, blah, blah, blah. They never did, so that's fine. One of my other player characters has just been, I don't wanna, I don't want to spoil too much, but is woken up, shall we say, uh, and I was like, oh, you can you can wake up and that's a perfect place. I've already kind of got it ready. These ruins are now, they were just ruins before. Now they're a chapel to this god. And that's where you wake yeah. up. And that's how it, it's it's physically on the map. And you can point to it. And that is now that thing. And it went from, you know, had, had the players gone there, I would have had to find somewhere else. But that's fine. And that's, you know, it's just very easy if to keep things, as you said, There's a there's a fundamental structure there. That you know, of course, not everyone's not just floating in a soupy sea of nothingness. Yeah, but (laughs) enough structure there that you can then pick and drop and choose and be like, oh yeah, I did put some settlements on the map there. Perhaps that would be a good place for you to start. Oh yeah, sounds great, cool, bish bash bosh, everybody's happy. Uh, And then suddenly overnight, this has become canon. And again, it's so funny when I think about it like that because you have these adored franchises like star wars like lord of the rings that have got decades of like super passionate fans decades of super in- detailed lore and then in like my campaign my camp my canon was set up like yesterday yeah <laughs> and like no one else knows about it 
Yeah, but it's it's it, that's that exists in the universe. That's that's now like a fundamental truth of of my universe. <laughs> I I do have a thing where I I think about it sometimes, and it it makes me happy that uh, you know sometimes when I think about it, I'm very glad that the listenership of my stuff is not as big as say Critical Role because mm. I would hate to listen to people be like, well, but in episode three, you said this, and in episode 92, you said this. And I'm like, man, you cannot expect me to remember what I said in episode three. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. That's, <laughs> That's why so I'm so long ago. <laughs> I'm so stoked that my, my players are just as forgetful as I am. Yeah. God, God knows how many, you know, inconsistencies there are <laughs> thrown around. <laughs> yeah, I, I love a note taker in a game. I absolutely mm -hmm. adore the note taker because my notes are like weird bullet points. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I'll write something down and be like, I don't know what this means. I didn't write any context to this. What is this? Mm -hmm. But it also means that when I do write down like, hey, they really like this NPC. I wonder if I can use them to emotionally torment their players later. The note taker is the one who's like, wait a second. That's, that's our buddy from the bar. Who taught us how to play uh, uh, dragon chess? Why is he here turning us in for the bounty? <laughs> <laughs> and then the other players go, we had a bounty? What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. You, this is, I'm like talking to a mirror. This is well <laughs> nice because like, my, my games are exactly the same. I haven't in one, in one game I play in, there is a note taker who also happens to be the mum of the DM. And before we start, she's like, oh, yeah, let me just get all these papers out, shuffling her papers. And it is almost like a blow for blow descript, like, and then this happened and then this happened. And then and I'm like, this is, I'm so thankful for that as a player. Because I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, because I, I didn't pay attention for half an hour. Yeah. Sorry, whoops, cardinal sin, but life is life. And I'm so thankful for you. <laughs> like, you don't you don't know. I I will say, too, you know, as more and more games are played online, it is very, like, for me, I almost never get to play in person, mm -hmm. uh, mostly for scheduling reasons and also for other reasons. And it is this thing where if I'm not able to just, like, look at somebody, I can just drift off. You know, right now, I'm, I'm, I could just stare at the drywall and on the other side of my computer, <laughs> and it's like, yes. oh, sorry, I didn't realize that I just left my body for 30 seconds. Yep. What happened? Yep, yep. I've daydreamed with the best of them. I do think, though, because you're mentioning, you know, almost a blow-by-blow, blow, I would love just for the experience to play in or run a game for somebody who's like a court stenographer. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be, like, in my head, I'm like, that would be fascinating. I I would love to see if if they take amazing notes or if they're like, quite a few of my friends are where they're like, no, I do stuff like this all day. I'm not doing it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my day job. <laughs> I didn't come here to take extensive notes. I came here to be a seven foot tall warrior woman with a hammer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I can. That is definitely going to happen. That's that's why I play is to not be a DM. Basically, it's almost. It sounds weird, but I, I play to not be a DM rather than just for playing in a weird way. Like I, I've said to the guy who's a very close friend, been on the show twice. I'm like, dude, this is my, like, turn my brain off gaming. So I'm sorry, but I come here to play D&D &D and not have to think too hard. So excuse it if I'm, like, checking out half the time. And he's like, no, that's cool, man. I, I, I feel just, that You're so just great hard. when you... Yeah, yeah. He's like, that's cool. You know, I'm just glad, you know, you add value. You're fun. You're a great player. So I'm happy for, for you. And I'm like, cool. Thank you. Uh, this is my chill out time. <laughs> yeah. The last five or six years I've been DMing way more than I've been playing. And it's it's been very fun because I love telling stories. I love getting my friends involved in these stories and like these little drops or emotional moments and stuff like that. But it's also like even in canon as a player, I love I love playing big dumb characters, but at the same time I as a player love paying attention because to mm -hmm. go back to canon, in a session, canon is established. You know, well, you said the room had this. 
Yes. So the room has this, right? And it's like, yeah, okay. And then I'll be like, all right, well, if the room, you said the room has chandeliers, are they tied up somewhere? I'm going to lure this guy underneath it and cut the rope. Do some wild shit using the cannon that's established in the setting. And that's, so like as a player, I tend to pay a lot of attention to what's going on because I want those moments of like, ah, haha, you thought I wasn't paying attention because my character's a meathead. <laughs> <laughs> The, the aha factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all about, uh, I, a lot of my players can be very like, oh man, I did not see that coming, but I've played mm-hmm. with them for so long that I generally can predict what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have one player that I almost never get to play with, and it is a shame, because it is what I imagine having me as a player is like. They just have no respect for the villains, and everything they try is insane, and then they succeed. <laughs> <laughs> have you got... Have you, what, give me one example. Um, so one that wasn't insane, it was just a, a moment of how had I never thought about this. Yeah. Is, uh, it was a modern superhero setting, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to have them do some sleuthing. They're going to have to look up whatever thing you know, find, try and track down information about this person. And they go, I'm going to check their Facebook. <laughs> what? Yeah. I'm going to, they, they probably have a Facebook, right? I'm going to go check it. Is it private? And I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't say no, you don't check their Facebook and they're a college student. Of course they have a Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So that was very much so a, I, this should have been something I predicted, but then like not respecting villains, I had a villain start monologuing, and this player just goes, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but in the middle of their monologue, can I just hit him with a rock? <laughs> At least they apologized for interrupting. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're they're polite enough to be like, yeah, I know you have a moment here, but my character really would interrupt their monologue to hit them with a rock. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Go ahead and do it. Yeah, you're way, you're way too kind, because <laughs> I've planned my Big Bad's monologue, and he he's getting it they're going to be in an anti-magic zone they're going to be in a silence zone they're going to be in a darkness zone like they can't speak they can't move their hands there's no magic they can cast they they don't get to do anything whatever contrived indiana jones style trap has to happen to put them in that situation is happening just so he can speak for two minutes yeah (laughs) i'm willing to do anything to have that monologue happen i (laughs) am lucky enough that my regular players i i'm usually I'm usually successful enough in creating enough awe in the build-up to the speech that they're too focused on what I'm saying to even think about mm-hmm. interrupting me. Yeah. Which is fun, but talking about like contrived traps and stuff, uh, another thing that I've done occasionally, I uh, should do it more because it's very helpful, is, you know, to take it back to canon, the next door the players go through is going to have the dragon behind it. It doesn't matter if they go left or right. The next door has Mm -hmm. the dragon behind it. Mm -hmm. And that's another... There's this level of like, well, the cannon is concrete. The next door has the dragon behind it. But the cannon is also nebulous because it doesn't matter which door they go through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The old quantum quantum dragon in this instance. Yeah, Yeah, you know, uh, I was about to say Chekhov's dragon, and that's not right. (laughs) <laughs> if only if you'd set up the dragon ahead of time yeah, with yeah. like some dragon scales then then perhaps yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah if they saw it flying through the air then it's Chekhov's dragon yeah yeah I, I wanted to say earlier about I know we, we've talked quite a little bit now about note takers and stuff and how we're in love with them however my my group of players doesn't really happen to have one of those for whatever reason none of them have, have volunteered to do so so I, I'll do the session recap um, and I will frequently remind them of things. And I just wanted to give an example because I think it can help other DMs who have been in this situation. So I'd had one NPC who's like kind of morally gray. He's a bit of a hand, handyman, quote unquote. So he knows people, he can get you things, but he's typically, you know, lawful at least when in sunlight yeah <laughs> um you know he's not evil he's not murdering people but he's just like oh i can you know i know somebody you can sell that to that kind of thing with he had, you know he had a two name he had a family name and a first name that's fine blah 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 players are on the other side of the world 
and they meet somebody who has similar mannerisms and shares that family name. Now, granted, it was several sessions since they'd last spoken to the first NPC, maybe 10, no, maybe about six sessions, I would say, and which would make that uh, one, two, three, four, 10, 12 weeks, you know, in real world time between having as human beings had that thought in their brain. So when I was like, he looks like this, and you, when they asked him his name, he drops this name. And they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Oh. That could have been a really good, you know, plot thread to pull on there, to be like, oh, do you happen to be related to? And because none of my players have a dedicated note taker or uh, particularly keen on that side of the game, it just, you know, nothing came of it. Yeah. Now, not necessarily meaning nothing might ever never come of it but in that instance it, it was one of those times as a gm you just kind of have to go fine that's that's life that's just the how it is today and the only reason i bring up that anecdote is for that reason to to tell people like that's just that's gonna happen yeah and not to not to get upset about it because it happens all the time <laughs> what i find myself doing a lot in those situations is being like well, remember, you did meet somebody in such and such place that had a very similar name and mannerisms. Mm. Like, I mm. will just completely circumvent the... I'll, I'll be like, no, 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 no. Sirs or madams or thalians, this is a, a thing you can pull on if you choose to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm always in two minds, and I, I don't think I'll ever be, you know, in a position where I feel confident enough either way to be, to pull that trigger and be like... I'm going to tell you what or you remember or, you know, I, I always, it, I, you know, I feel d- damned either way. <laughs> yeah. But that is absolutely a viable way to do it is to be like, well, okay, in this instance, let me help you out here. But it was it was such a trivial NPC that I didn't deem it necessary, I guess, at that time. Yeah, I've done that in the past where it was like, nah, this would have been fun, but meh. It's not mm-hmm. important necessarily. Yeah. And what I tend to do a lot is... I'll be like, okay, well, your character's a wizard. They have a really high intelligence. I think you would remember this. And that's how I phrase mm-hmm. it. I think you would remember that you encountered somebody with very similar mannerisms a few months ago. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I do it that way, I think of it as being more accommodating to my players. Because some of my players have, you know, ADD, which messes with your memory. Yeah. So they might be taking notes, but they don't remember all the notes that they took. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if there's not something about this person that immediately sparks a memory, they don't remember it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a fine line for both players and the GMs to be, you know, there's there's an onus on both parties there to meet in the middle and do a little bit of a dance around what we do know and what we don't know. And my guys don't have a wizard. They don't have, you know, who's dumped all their points into intelligence. They don't have that vehicle. Right. Which is, funnily enough, the, the character that I play in one of the games I play in, I'm a wizard who has pushed 20 intelligence as soon as mechanically possible because that was his whole shtick. And I'm several times the vehicle for the DM, <laughs> the yeah. exposition machine, which I'm totally happy with. I know that that's you know, a vehicle that's sometimes necessary, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Let my boy Quinn yeah. just extol <laughs> exposition for the next 10 minutes. That's and fine. I've had moments myself where... As a GM, I'll just be like, I don't think there's any reason your character would know this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the player disagrees, I'm I'm more than willing to hear them out. But usually my players yes. are like, yeah, it sounds right. And as a player, I've foregone rolling uh, a knowledge skill check because I'm like, there is no way my character knows this. Yeah. There's no way that this character knows anything specific about blue dragons. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to roll. That is a really, uh, you've just made me think of a really good, uh, I'm super intelligent. Um, no, that came out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I've thought of a really good thing here. No, it's made me think like, I've been uh, guilty of this before, of getting the players to roll to buy time, essentially. So the moment a player is like, what would what would my character know about this? I'm like, uh, roll me history just to mm-hmm. buy some time, essentially, as I, the GM rattle through god what do they know yeah. but i think i think in reality those roles should probably be less frequent than they perhaps are certainly in my game in that it's it's i think it's probably more binary and it's probably only the niche things where you have the need for a sliding yeah. scale i would say so what i guess what i'm getting at is like don't 
and it's it's a topic I've covered on several episodes before. Like, just tell the players. There's there's often a desire to be like, I hold all the cards. You know nothing. I know everything because that's kind of what the story needs to make it interesting and exciting. But less damage, pretty much no damage has ever been done by just being like, no, you know this about blue dragons because of a summer school you went to, and that's fine. Like, there's no. <laughs> yeah, I do this thing where I use um, passive perception as my like mm -hmm. base there where i go okay it i think it would be a dc 15 to know that blue dragons are commonly blue dragons are willing to converse with people they're not always yes. just out to kill you and eat you yeah attack on sight and yeah. your arcana or, or your history skill is a plus eight so on an average roll you know this mm-hmm and that's usually what I use as my basis on that, is I try and think, on an average roll, would they know this? And if the answer is no, then I'll have them roll. If the answer is yes, then I just tell them. Mm -hmm. um, and that, I think, actually ties into the discussion of canon, where it's like, as a player deciding, what would your character reasonably know? Is this something yeah. that your character might have just heard in conversation or gotten bored and read a book about? Because, like, as a person, I know a lot of weird and varied information. Mm -hmm. But there's still a lot of stuff where I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I don't I don't know what this means. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't think that were somebody playing me as a character, I don't think that they would, like, roll to see if they knew that. They'd just be like, <laughs> no. how would He doesn't know how to do heart surgery. He doesn't know how that yes. fucking works. Sure, I, I, I know the principle, but I don't know any of the specifics. Why would I roll for that? Yeah. Oh, I wouldn't trust me to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't trust me to do it. <laughs> and I, I do have a firm belief when it comes to, because this thought came to me, is um, when it comes to canon, I don't care what it says in the book, but I do care what we have said at the table. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine with changing canon when it uh, changing canon that's been set at the table. If it's like, well, now you're in this place that you've only ever heard about. Nobody of you, none of you have ever actually been here, and now you're finding out that all the stories you heard were wrong. They were made up or, or propaganda or something. But I do like without a reason. I don't like to change the canon after it's been established in game. Yes, you know, yeah. once we have said the words in a, 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 a different system than D&D that I'm playing right now, they use the word fiction, in that once mm -hmm. you have established fiction, you should stick to that fiction. There there should be a reason that it changes. Yeah. Now, sometimes I have in the past changed that reason by just saying, um, is, is, are any of us having fun with this? Yes. This particular <laughs> tidbit of information? No? Okay, then I'm, I'm going to change it. Is that cool with everybody? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, honest mistakes or, okay, this isn't really working because nobody's having fun. They're, they're the two instances when it's probably okay to be like, do you know what, that was a mistake, let's mix it up a little bit. Yeah. And then, no, all, of, all of this, you know, all this talk about rolling and stuff is all about how to uh, communicate the canon of the setting to the players via their player characters, which is wrought with pitfalls because you're trying to filter through two layers of understanding and knowledge with maybe some randomness thrown in so it is a tricky you know topic definitely worthy of discussion and i wanted to embellish a little bit and say if you do roll often for those kind of things like what would i know about this kind of red wine i'm drinking and where it's coming from yeah maybe if it's you know you could roll for that that might be fun but if that happens a lot then it kind of lessens the impact of other roles and don't forget it's also a d20 it's also the same check to find out whether you stab something, yeah. which has a lot of impact. And if you start lessening that impact by being like, you know, this cheese is blue because it's grown in the mountains. And the same role two seconds later is to stab somebody. It's like, okay, that that stab role should have been like a really, really, really important. Whoa, he's rolling a dice to stab. But you're also using the same importance to find out where blue cheese is from. It's yeah. like, well, <laughs> it kind of muddies the water a little bit. Yeah. So, I'd, yeah, I would say save those, you know, make make rolling impactful. It should be for those like, you know, this, this, this about a blue dragon, but maybe you don't know whether they'll kill you on sight. Maybe that bit yeah. should be the role just to be like, okay, well, how? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> how I how think cautious like, do we have to be? Oh, you grew up dra blue dragons in this setting traditionally 
live in arid climates, you grew up in an arid climate, you know that they spit lightning and you've heard that they're completely immune to lightning. And then it's mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. That makes sense. But you might have only ever heard that they kill you on sight and use your bones to yeah. pick their teeth. And, you know, the reality might be that they don't give a shit about you at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do like those kind of, if they roll low, for example, then you can feed them and be like, oh, yeah, you remember hearing like a bard's tale that they. Yeah will throw you into the magma and pick out all your bones and stuff. But it was just like exaggeration for stories purposes. Like, and they're actually totally chill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I was thinking about, you know, mentioning the roles because you're, you're right. The roles help establish this canon of what the characters know, Mm -hmm. depending on the role, but it can also like a perception check is a, this is what you perceive about your surroundings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think, unless they were in an entirely new area, I don't think I would ever have a player role to like identify this wine. Mm-hmm. If they had established as part of the canon that, oh no, my, my character loves wine. They love learning about it. Yeah. They, they know all about how it's made and all these different things because they find it fast. The science behind winemaking is fascinating yeah. to them. And then I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you recognize these things. So without rolling, you would assume these things. And then I leave mm-hmm. it to the player. Do you want to roll to see if you can like be more confident in this? Or do you think your character would just be like, ah, I know enough about wine to know what this is? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of, I had a guest on that, I think it was Peach Garden Games, and they, they were talking about their magic system and their TTRPG they've made. And the whole premise of casting spells is it's like this negotiation between the DM and the player. So there's quite a lot of trust inherent in the system. It, it is this two-way street of, well, if I do this, how much is it going to cost me? Oh, well, it'll cost you X. But if you if you don't make it turn the enemies upside down, then it will only cost you Y, which is a bit less. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, that's that's fine. I liked that idea of like dynamic negotiation and you can have that in that setting you've just described with the player character there and also in other ones we've discussed around like well you tell me how would you know about this and there's maybe maybe i went to school here and studied for 15 years and then the dm can go well actually you're only 20 years old so 15 years of studying doesn't really (laughs) you know add up here maybe let's let's Tailor that were, a little were bit. Were you that, an that orphan? Is... Were you left at the steps of this library and raised inside of it? <laughs> yeah, in the in the blue dragon section, and you weren't allowed to leave. Yeah. <laughs> I've said things like that to players before, and then immediately said, "I'm not saying no. I'm saying this is the realistic situation in which this would be what you've just said would be true. Does that fit? <laughs> Can you make that work?" <laughs> but I do, I do like that negotiation that back and forth of like yeah yeah okay tell me tell me you know when when would you have learned about this and if maybe the, the player's not so confident or they can't think of anything then i'm happy and competent enough at improvisation to be like oh perhaps you did you know you during your travels you met this person or you did study here for a year and you majored in blue dragons just for sake of <laughs> just for the funsies yeah, exactly. There, there, there is that two-way street negotiation of trying to understand the canon uh, of the universe. <laughs> yeah, and there's this very, very fun thing for me because for for most of my D and D career, it was kind of rare to encounter a GM who thought the same way I did. In that, I am my player, my PC's biggest fan. Whenever I make a game, my characters are the heroes, or at the very least, the protagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, I will bend and break the rules left and right, usually without telling them that I'm bending and breaking the rules, to make whatever cool thing that they're envisioning happen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy to see that uh, so many people are really embracing that, mm-hmm. because like I said, for a good 10 years of me playing D&D, I didn't have a lot of experience with that. But I was very much so. Like, no, this is what I want. What are you talking about? You did a fucking awesome <laughs> thing. You should, I, I'm going to reward you for it. Yeah. And I think that also is like, there is a, a weird version of canon that ties into like the tone of the story. 
Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. because if the tone of the story is very gritty and real and the world is hard and things don't always work out even when you do everything right, then to be, you know, deus ex machina, a thing to save the player's life, you know, it doesn't really feel like it fits in the canon that you've already established. Exactly. So I was going to ask, uh, do you have any kind of interesting tidbits of, of canon, like any, you know, accidental or humorous things that are now like, as we discussed, like part of the <laughs> part of the fiction, or this like oh. uh, un, un, unchangeable fiction of your setting? My absolute favorite one, ironically, has nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons, but it is um, I was running a, a Western game and I needed a name at random and I came up with Anger Boston. Amazing. It was from a random name generator of like Protestant names of that time. <laughs> and the name alone just ended up creating this NPC that the players loved. He was just this bar brawling lunatic who thought that the players were kind of fun to have around. So he would be willing to help them out most times. Mm. And originally he wasn't supposed to be jovial or nice or any of that stuff, but the players loved his name so much that I changed the fiction <laughs> uh, before it was established. And in other cases I've had, uh, but I've, I've had other moments where like on Ildar establishing by accident that um, sometimes dragons will just like lay down somewhere and take a nap yeah. And I made a joke that, you know, it's it's not unheard of for a road to be temporarily rerouted because the dragon might be asleep for the next 10 years. <laughs> it's like a Snorlax. It's yeah. like <laughs> It's like, "Hey, are you going to wake up the 5-ton fire-breathing lizard to make the move?" <laughs> but it it was like a little throwaway joke, but my players just kept running with it and I was like, "Okay, it's canon." The reason you don't see dragons all over the place is that, like crocodiles, they might eat up a bunch of food and then just take a nap for a week. Mm. There's a, all around the globe, they're asleep somewhere, but it's because they're just like in sleep in random places. That's why they're just not flying overhead all the time. Yeah, and, and in my setting, it's like, oh, well, when you're the most powerful mortal creature, of course you're just going to sleep wherever you feel like it. <laughs> yeah top of the food chain damn right <laughs> yeah you know oh i'm the most powerful like i'm the biggest thing i'm the most powerful thing i'm the most magical thing uh yeah <laughs> amazing yeah and it's like i've established canon in the past where i wanted to have a fun non-combat encounter where it yeah. was combat but the goal was not to end it in fighting where uh the players were trying to stop a Tarrasque. And they were like level 10. And it was only fun because they couldn't do enough to the Tarrasque to mm -hmm. make it pay attention to them. Yeah. So it wasn't attacking them or anything, but they were, it was like cutting this swath through the countryside. And I had laid these little clues, and finally the bard figured out that, oh, I can play a lullaby on my flute and put this Tarrasque back to sleep. And so then it was canon that's like, hey, sometimes you can just sing a little lullaby and help that gigantic murder baby go to sleep. <laughs> and then that just is now just asleep there on the landscape for the next millennia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that was part of it too, was that it, it this whole stone and earth and town had grown up over the Tarrasque and nobody remembered it being there. It had been so long. <laughs> oh, and it's just, so they've, that's <laughs> great. I, I was thinking more like an Area 52 thing where it would be like, nobody's allowed to go near because you might wake it up. But in this case, that, that yours is way better. <laughs> well, and the way I imagine is that it probably started off that way, but it was just asleep for 2,000 years and a bunch of land grew up over top of it and mm. people just went, hey, look at that real big hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet we could build a town on it. Yeah, <laughs> my my one is 
and I think I have mentioned it before on the show, um, but the players were walking out of a major city and because well, certainly in the earlier days they are foolish and um, just neglected to like buy horses or just pay for a, a coach. Um, so they were just canvassing passers-bys that are going into this quite major city for being like, hey, want to carry us with you in the back of your van? And um, they met the first person and this was, hands up a little bit, part of me being like, let me show that it isn't just always going to be like someone's magically just going to come up and be like, hey, yeah, I can take you and it happens to be within your budget. Isn't that convenient? Um, So I had the first one be like a farm owner and these are typical you know farmland surrounding a major city that are just the life and blood you know every morning they go in sell the produce and come out in the afternoon and you know it's it's very what you know very uh very important part of the economy so they were like hey you've got a nice wagon fancy taking us three days out of town to go to some other place and he was like uh yeah i can do that but it will cost you like 400 gold and they were like whoa what why is why is that so expensive? And he's like, well, the cost of running the farm and need to get more labor in and, you know, lost lost trade would be this, you know, 12 gold a day plus, you know, of course, yeah. the rental of the carriage and my time and, I, you know, my wage is 20 gold a day. So, bum, 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 that adds up. <laughs> so now the running joke is like, why are we bothering adventuring when we can just be farmers? Yeah. Like, that is there. Anytime money comes up, they're like, oh, if only we were farmers. And I'm like, yeah, okay, through gritted teeth. Yeah, I might have added a couple of zeros on by accident because I was didn't I just made the numbers up on the fly. And yeah, it was probably more than it should have been in the grand scheme of things. But <laughs> so now it's just like, oh, well, you know, any rich person they meet, they're like, oh, did you, are you a, are you a farmer? No, yeah. this person's a royalty. Next person, are you a farmer? Yeah. No, <laughs> this person's like a criminal, right? Okay. The, the kind of the my universe is that yeah farmers are like the, the richest people in the world and yeah. just making an honest living off the land and they are just although they're toiling in the fields they they go home to like these luxurious <laughs> gold plated mansions because they've just got so much money that does make me think um a piece of canon whenever i run dnd that is is always a hard line whenever i run a game and i'd never really thought that that's what it was before because it's never been challenged Mm-hmm. is that most people quit adventuring at like level three. Yeah. And it's because they usually have acquired so much money by level three that they can pretty much just retire. Yeah. So the only people who keep adventuring are people who have this like mission that they're on or just I've had a player who's like, no, my character in you know, my eighth level character kept adventuring because they're a little bit of an adrenaline addict. Yes, yeah. You know, the adrenaline of it is a a huge thing. They couldn't they couldn't give this up. Mhm. And I it was it's just interesting that what you said there really made me realize, oh, there is there are certain like hard lines I have of no, this is canon. <laughs> <laughs> this is carved in stone. <laughs> it is easy for newer characters to, you know, why are you adventuring? It's very easy to answer that question. I want to make it rich. Cool. Fine. Let's go and play D&D. And that's fine. But yeah, at a certain level, there is a case of like, you can't use that anymore because just to have the the experience that you have to be level eight implicitly required a thousand golds worth of training or a thousand golds worth of materials at some point. So like you're already pretty good or I guess pretty old. (laughs) And at which point you're starting to push the other line of like, uh, you know, are you physically capable of adventuring depending on the, the lineage of course oh, and, and the do, race of course. I do also love playing a real old guy. I, I played a mm. um a cleric with a criminal background who had gotten back into adventuring because mm. his wife had died of old age, so he was like pushing seventy five. Yeah. He was just a real old guy who's like, Well, I might as well go back to adventuring. Yeah, yeah. I thought that's so so deep and rich, like my current, my super intelligent wizard is a young guy, but because I wanted that naivety, you know, you know, that age when you just think you know everything and you're better than everyone else. That was yeah, the kind yeah. of character I wanted to play. But the next character I play would definitely be 
an older like I'm getting too old for this shit kind of thing like that is <laughs> I'd also love and there's so much depth there to be like well why do you keep doing it old man well let me think of an appropriate backstory to yeah, <laughs> yeah to for this it. particular character it was well you know my fam my kids are all grown mm. uh my wife's gone there's just not really anything left for me to go back to and this is exciting it's a good way to spend my time i get to help people if i feel like it um and then the benefit of playing an old character is you can just make up whatever kind of nonsense adventures they might have previously been on Uh, This particular character, he was like level five, um, but I would play off like he used to be like level 10. Yeah. But because he got older and got out of practice, he lost levels. (laughs) Which, which makes sense. I do, I do like that idea of, I was just thinking as you were speaking there of like playing an older character but at, uh, at you know a level equal to with these younger people that does beg the question of like well what have you been doing for 50 years but i kind of love the idea of maybe they were professional at it at one point then they did a more mundane life and then now they've come back and it is like you know if you're if you're coding or you know a programmer or something and you programmed on like version two of a certain library and then you come back maybe five, ten years later. Now we're on version seven, and all the like the algorithms are different. The libraries you have to use are different. All this other, and you'd be like, well, how do I even begin to adopt these new, yeah. these I, new I practices? Think that particular, <laughs> I think in that particular game, his thing was the joke I I as a player made was that yeah, he's a little bit lower level because he was tenth level in fourth edition. <laughs> But, oh no great. i said he was 10th level in in third editions but it's been so long that he's fifth level now yeah yeah i just i just like the idea of being like you know because oh, oh, there's such a good character development there as well if you had a if you had say for example like two rogues one very old who's who's come back into it and a younger one who's you know like fresh faced learning everything you know straight you know absorbing all this knowledge and the old man to be like, oh, I didn't do very good here because now you guys can like, there's this way of doing things Like, you can use spells now. Like, how yeah. do you do that? Oh, come on, old man. That's like, come on, granddad. That's what we do all the time here. What's this press the digitation? Like, we're all arcane tricksters now. <laughs> that's yeah. just the norm. Let me show you how it's done now. Oh, you do. You use two daggers. Cool, cool. Okay, we never used to do that back in my day. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't this. Well, back in my day, the style was to wear an onion on your belt. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like even that character, I played him as very lackadaisical, uh, almost reckless because he was mm. like, I'm so old. I might die in my sleep. What? Is, yeah, let's have <laughs> some fun. Let's get wild. Yeah, let's go crazy. <laughs> he was very much so this like, oh, I love adventuring with you guys. Maybe a dragon will eat me tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I played him as very laissez-faire. Yeah. Yeah, but there's so much. There's such a richness there to have because you could have him be like, obviously depending on the tone and the style of the campaign and where the player wants to take a character like that. But of course, you could always have him be like, "You're my new family, and now I found another reason to live." There's some character development for you, like yeah. that's really wholesome and sweet. And it's that's you know there are the reason why we're talking about these old characters is the implication that they have in universe. 50 years of canon for that particular character and how I was to... just about to say that uh <laughs> when you have an, an older character if the game especially if if the campaign is primarily taking place in one kingdom well mm. if that character's 60 years old they've lived through a lot that has mm. happened in that one kingdom so as a gm that character really would become this exposition dump for me because yeah, they were there <laughs> yeah no you know this it affected your town when this changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you 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 were out of a job because they changed the the law or something, and now that's why everything is the way it is. Ah, amazing, cool. Well, thank you very much. Is there is there anything we haven't covered yet that you wanted to talk about? No, because I think we talked about how canon is whatever you feel like it being. <laughs> it's so cheap we got we got out of this topic well easy by just saying it is whatever you want it to be <laughs> it's been a four minute episode yeah, yeah. cool uh all right bye everyone uh <laughs> no I, you know i didn't have in my notes or prep for this episode anything about the canon of 
particular characters, which is stupid because that's a huge, huge, huge piece for many players around the table and how to hook that into the canon of the universe that you're going into. So I'm very glad that we covered those topics uh, organically uh, with with plenty of examples. So thank you. Oh, I I actually should say... um... A, a specific phrase that I had meant to say and completely forgot about is that for GMs and players, it is very easy to get very precious about the canon of your world or the canon of your character. And it's very important that you don't do that. Mm-hmm. Allow change. Be yeah. open to change of the mm-hmm. canon for your character or your world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That other, as you just said, that's for both yeah players and GMs. It is a very much a two way street. The nature of the game is a two way street. It's just negotiation. So yeah, it, it absolutely stands to reason. There's that. I think one one thing to add on that actually is one of the players in my game. He has he has read some fiction. He has read some. What are they called? The uh, there's like a sect of like kind of clandestine roguish people who go and send messages around the world and I In think open hand. In Rune, I think they're called the Harpers. That's it. I know it's H. I was going to say open hand for some reason though. The Harpers. Thank you. I described it well enough that you knew what I was talking about, <laughs> which I'm, I'm happy enough that we got there. Yeah. So he's like all in for the Harpers. So when he's been reading up on that, he's... I, I picked up when he was talking to the DM, he was like, oh, well, I had read that they'd started in this city, which of course doesn't exist in my DM's world. So there was an interaction at some point where the DM was like, I can't I can't fit in like a whole city and all this baggage that in this you know 400 page novel that you've read, but let me bring in Harper's in a different way. And maybe you started on this island because that's a bit of a blank slate for this precise reason. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is very much that they both, you know, compromised a little bit to bring that character to life and is now very much a part of the world and has all this baggage and all this, you know, he's being chased by his, his legacy and all this other kind of stuff. So it is, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. It's a very, very important point. Is there anything you would like to promote? Um, yes, I do an actual play podcast called We Play RPGs. We just finished a 110-episode-long D&D campaign And on March 15th, we will be releasing episodes for a uh, teenage superhero game. Uh, We also do bonus stuff. If any of your listeners want to head to weplayrpgs.com, they can find out how to support us. They can listen to some of the other shows that we've done that aren't part of our main feed. And I myself am in the process of making dice. I'm getting all my molds finished up at the moment. Awesome. So if anybody wants to follow me uh, for dice making, they can find me like on Instagram or, or uh, Facebook at Grumpy Badger Dice. Mm-hmm. And I also make uh, do commissions for cosplay props. So if they want to f- head to royalartisanprops.com, they can find that stuff. Ah, you got fingers in many pies. I'm definitely yes. going to follow the uh, <laughs> the dice one at the moment. That's, that's something that's very cool to me. So no, that's that's very cool. And you've you've also inadvertently put me in my place because often when I tell people, yeah, I'm running my own homebrew campaign, and I'm, you know, next week it's session seventy two. Most people are like, <laughs> oh wow, fair play. And then you're just here casually dropping like hundred and ten or something. I'm casually like, yeah. saying, yeah, I've done a, a hundred and fifteen hours of this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, otherwise, the only thing left to say is thank you ever so much, Eli, for joining us today. That was great. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, everyone, to for listening. Oh, what's that? Thank you, everyone, to listening at home. Stupid. You'd think after how many episodes I'd get it right. <laughs> thank you, everybody at home, for listening to today's episode. All those links to all of Eli's various avenues will be in the episode description. I would encourage you all to check them out. Otherwise, thank you all for listening. And good night. And now it's time for the Patreon shoutouts. Thank you to Robert Hartley, DM for Viva the Dirt League and writer on the D&D Logic web series. I would encourage everybody to check him out at Robert Hartley GM on Twitter and Twitch. Thank you to Optional Rule, a two-time guest of the show and a very insightful and knowledgeable source of information. Please check them out at www.optionalrule.com. Huge, huge, huge thank you to a great friend of the show, Matthew Perkins, who's out there making hilarious and educational Dungeons & Dragons content. Please go and check out his stuff at matthewperkins.net, 
where you can find links to all of his socials and all of his content, including his own Patreon, which I would very much encourage you to check out. Thank you to Matt Street at MPStreet88 on Twitter for supporting the show. If you need support running your personal or business schedule, head to virtualtimehustle.com or on Instagram to make that difference between should do and done. Boss it better with support from Kat, who will help you get back that essential time you've been searching for. If you would like to support what we do and get four shoutouts a month, head over to patreon.com slash thinkingcritically, or you can just buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash thinkingcritically.